Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Product Coalition European Tour podcast series where today I'm very excited to be joined by Victor Zanabria. Welcome Victor. Hey, thank you, thank you for allowing me to be part of this episode of the podcast. Brilliant. Now, I'm really looking forward to getting into our discussion today, which is going to be on the the challenges of the product owner role. Uh, I know we've got many product owners in the audience listening, um, so I'm sure this is going to be highly relevant. So I'm looking forward to sharing some gold with everyone. Now, before we get stuck into the episode, um, first of all, I, I want to give a big shout and a mention to the fact that this podcast series is all dedicated to raising awareness and funds for the bushfire-affected communities and wildlife of Australia. Um, that was a decision I made back in December 2019, and I can certainly say that those communities uh, are affected negatively even more so with what's happening now with the coronavirus um tourism makes up three percent of the gdp of australia and um, both domestic and international tourism will have another significant effect on those communities so if you do enjoy this episode or any of the episodes of the product coalition european tour please consider supporting those communities you've got a choice between the firefighters the communities themselves uh, and by firefighters i mean sorry volunteer firefighters and the wildlife support as well you can do so by heading over to bushfire.productcoalition.com. So my original plan was to visit five cities across Europe and interview over 50 leaders in the product space to gain insights, knowledge and experience to share with you the global product coalition community. Unfortunately, due to the coronavirus situation, I've had to retreat to Lisbon here, set up a bit of emergency studio. So apologies if the sound quality isn't as you expect. However, I'm still going to be interviewing over 50 product leaders. All of that now will be remote and will be conducted remotely with, with those people. So if you just discovered the Product Coalition, welcome. We're a global product community with over 500,000 readers, 6,000 Slack members and thousands of podcast listeners. If you want to know more about the community as a whole, please head over to platform.productcoalition.com. Now I need to give a shout out to some some brands and individuals that were significant donors to the Bushfire campaign so far. First up is UserPilot. UserPilot is a code-free user onboarding and adoption tool designed especially for product management teams. UserPilot helps to increase conversion, user retention rates and reduce churn by guiding new users to their first aha moment with interactive walkthroughs, contextual product tours and onboarding checklists. It allows product managers to build fully customizable, behavior-triggered in-app experiences with a simple visual editor. You can go to userpilot.com to grab a demo and a free trial. Now, Shobit Chug is a Google product manager and he helps product managers become product leaders and have careers they can be proud of. Go to intentionalproductmanager.com and sign up for Shobit's free class on the habits that turn product managers into exceptional product leaders and help them move through their careers fast. Product-led teams like Mixpanel and Flexport know that the best time to capture engagement is when a user is already inside the product. That's why they use Chameleon to drive feature adoption, build onboarding flows and gather user feedback. You can give it a go at trychameleon.com forward slash success. Two individuals I'd like to thank are Rich Mironoff and Chris Miles for their significant donations. Now the episode title for today is Challenges of the Product Owner Role and uh, I'm really Excited to have Victor joining me from Copenhagen. Apologies, it's not face-to-face as originally planned, Victor, but it's great to, to have you join me in this episode. Yeah, thank you. Actually, I live in Sweden and I live close to Copenhagen. I live in in a small town called Lund, which is 40 minutes from Copenhagen. So I was really excited to, to go to Copenhagen. Uh, unfortunately, this coronavirus is not allowing us to, to meet personally, but yeah, we have to adapt and keep moving forward. 
No worries. I'm sure we'll we'll get some gold out of this episode, regardless. So, first up, Victor, would you mind sharing your your career path into product and um, you know some trials and tribulations along the way? What's been your story so far? Yeah, so I have started my career around nine years ago, and I have been mostly on the technical side, uh, starting as a developer and then moving in different roles, such as business analyst, scrum master, uh, and so on. Mostly, I have been working in organizations that are that have been in the middle of a transformation from waterfall methodology, methodology still. IL methodologies. So I have always been trying to be part of this uh, change, like an internal agent of change uh, during my career uh, from different angles. So that have helped that have helped me to to see how the product can be developed in different ways and from different points of views and interact with different kinds of of people with different points of view about things. Fantastic, fantastic. Oh, it's great to hear a bit of varied experience along the way and it's good to have a guest from a, from a tech background as well. Um, it's, it's been a while since I've had one of those on, on the show. So today we're going to be going deep into the product owner space. Um, first up, Victor, just to clarify what we're talking about um, for the audience here with regard to product owner and a definition for, for this episode, is it around uh, similar to the, the Scrum definition of product owner? Is, is, is that the the constraints we're talking about here? Yeah, basically it's uh, the constraints that a product owner within this Scrum framework. Brilliant, brilliant. Okay, great. Well, let's let's get stuck into it. I know you've got a lot of experience, you mentioned nine years in the game. Um, so let, let, let's get going into, first of all, what are some of the, the key skills um, that you're looking for from successful product owners, but that no one tells them about all of the time? Yeah, so it's very interesting actually when you you have been studying different kind of courses or certifications for becoming a product owner and then you're very happy with your diploma, applying for your first job as a product owner. Uh, and then you go there, you start to work with your backlog prioritization, you start building your user stories and so on. And, and then you realize that it's not as it was in theory, but there are different challenges that you face, especially uh, in the kind of organizations that are transitioning towards an agile way of, of working. Uh, for example, we have the product owners that we have in these kinds of organizations do not have full control of the products that they are working with. So they have a lot of dependencies on other teams and other modules, and a lot of coordination needs to be done. Uh, and when you are working on this communication with other teams, there are some skills that no one told you about, which from a point of view, there are three main things. The first one is to be able to negotiate. Negotiation skills are very important and very few people knows how to do successful negotiations. Uh, another one is persuasion. You have to persuade all the people to get buy-in. Uh, for example, if you want to get a service provider or if you want to start working with cloud technologies and so on, you need to get the buy-in from different departments. It could be sourcing, it could be IT security, it could be legal and so on. Uh, and here I remember I was reading, reading a couple of years ago a uh, post from the Harp Harvard Business Review about how the art of persuasion hasn't changed in the last 2,000 years from the times mm -hmm. of Aristotle's when 
cat ethos, pathos, and logos of, as the main three components for persuade all the people uh, in a good way. <laughs> and so th- those are very important uh, skills. And finally, you need to have presentation skills. It is very interesting how people that are working in different departments that you need to convince, they will probably not understand the language that you are talking. They are not facing the same things that you are facing in an everyday life. So you have to use a lot of metaphors, analogies, uh, and also try to make them understand in a very visual way of how things work. So I think those are the things that I, I consider very important and that are not part of the what an ideal product owner should be. Yeah, I suppose because there's not a method associated with, with many of those um, and the job title of owner or role title, I should say, of owner, um, uh, there's, there's, it's not as much ownership as you, as you may believe if you're new into that role or, or, or to this industry. True. True. And um, w- when it comes to developing those skills for product owners, is it is it practice? Is it formal education? Um, w- w- how would you suggest um, product owners who need to develop the skills or mindset changes that you talked about there? How, how do you recommend they go about that? Uh, I think it comes together with a lot of practice. Uh, first, when you are experiencing this for the first time, it, it can be very challenging. You would probably think that this is not the right thing for you. Uh, but actually, it comes with practice. And if it doesn't come natural at the beginning, you kind of have to fake it until you get it. And it eventually, it will become natural part of your everyday skills that you have to be able to present. You have to be able to get the buy-in from other people. You have to be able to uh, convince other people and so on. So it comes with practice. And I think there is no such, uh, um, what do you call online course or a presential course where you can do this, but you can have the basics, you can have some theory about it, but if you don't practice it, then it will be very difficult to to get there. And obviously reading a few um, Greek or Latin mythology or philosophy books sounds like it also helps. Um, It certainly helped you going back 2000 years of, of understanding how to persuade. Yeah. I've got to ask, how, how, did you, how did you find that out? Is that through your desire to discover that philosophical angle or was it just a, a stumble upon moment? So I was, um, I was watching, uh, I don't know if you heard about this uh, pre- presentation course that, uh, very popular from the university in Australia and they were working with different kinds of um, uh, techniques for doing presentations and there I they had reference to this specific article of the Harvard Business Review so uh, I went and take a look at that and it was in, very interesting actually fantastic fantastic I'll, I'll try and dig that up and add it as a link in the chapter markers for those listening to the, to the podcast episode um, so you've got a link to that okay let's move yes. on um, misconceptions about product owners um, what are some of the misconceptions out there you believe, Victor? Yeah, well, that there are different kinds of misconceptions. And, and, and I think that uh, if I have to think uh, about a couple of them, the first one, I, I think it's it's something that we inherit, I think, from, from the old school where we had that one ways of work, you know, we had business analysts. It, it happened to me a couple of times, I remember, where XX comes, comes to you with... Um, 
idea of the potential features that they want to develop for a product. And they are very secure about those features and they know that those features are the ones that will make customers really happy. So they come to you and tell you, you know what, I have this feature, you just need to write them in the right format and send them to the developers so that they can start working on it. Uh, and actually, for me, it was quite, quite quite funny the first time that I heard about that because they think that we are some kind of a formatters that we are just going to write down ideas from others and then developers can understand can understand that. Uh, so that was one of the things that I think not just happened to me, but also a few colleagues that I have been talking to all these years. Another one that comes to my mind is when you are talking with different stakeholders, uh, they don't think that you are going to be part of the whole product life cycle uh, when it comes to the customer research, when it comes to understanding what are the user needs, when it comes to understanding what are the problems that you have to deal with. Uh, but sometimes I think that we are not part of that, but we actually have a lot of work when it comes to the definition of what are the needs of the end users. Fantastic. Uh, you definitely shared a few common experiences I've, I've had or seen around the way, uh, particularly um, that concept of product owners being order takers almost, where you give them an order, um, like you're at the teal at McDonald's and they, they just give it out the back and all of a sudden you get your burger with fries delivered exactly that way and um, lack of appreciation exactly. of the input and collaboration required for the product owner role. Um, okay, with regards to challenges product owners face a common challenge no matter how agile the organization is there's some part of the technology the infrastructure the people that is waterfall and can you talk to me about managing those challenges when you're faced with some waterfall dependencies when you have dependencies on waterfall teams a lot of things can happen of course and from my point of view there are two main categories where you face challenges one of them is when it comes to the culture of both teams there are different cultures they come from different backgrounds on the one hand you have the agile team that is focused on the pro the team productivity empowering the team members being very likely to adapt to change and on the other hand you have the waterfall teams that are working in a completely different way you have very rigid gun chart like the product project manager trying to squeeze them to deliver so you have that on the one hand on the on the other hand you have the delivery culture the delivery timelines where you have to synchronize timelines and for this it is very common that people will tell you that you have to you have to communicate with them with them all the time and communication is a very important aspect here. But you will go and try to communicate with them and then you will agree on something. And during your first demo, you will be there with your agile team waiting for the waterfall team. But then no one will show up. You will be like, okay, what happened with these guys? No one, no one came today. And then you will try to do this one more time and it will happen again. They will be late again. And then you escalate this and the management comes and tells you, well, you have to come to an agreement. You have to align. Otherwise, we will have a lot of extra costs for this project and so on and so on. And then after that, you will, they will agree and you will be there listening to them and saying, okay, yeah, I, I hear you, but something within me tells me that this will not happen. I have been through this a lot of times and in the end you realize you have to have a strategy for this. You have to have a, mitig a risk mitigation plan for this. So you 
have to do not just your backlog planning, not just your release planning, but also you have to have a strategy for addressing what will happen if the one of the team will not be able to deliver when it comes to the dependencies. This is almost like maybe twice the work that you will do, but it is necessary. Otherwise you will end up frustrated and also with a lot of, uh, a lot of delays when it comes to the product. I've certainly been in those, some of those experiences myself where you almost have, you know, you have a plan B, which is what, what value can you deliver that where those dependencies don't exist and how can you continue to deliver value should those waterfall dependencies uh, fail you. So it's good to hear um, some other approaches there. Managing the backlog and making prioritization calls is is always a fun part of being a product owner and and synchronizing those decisions with others as well. Um, Can you tell me um, a little bit around your style when it comes to backlog management and prioritization? What's your approach to it, Victor? It was very complicated, I think, at the beginning when you were trying to manage a long list of requirements. And I remember when I started to work in this, I was trying to satisfy as much people as possible, as much stakeholders as possible, I wanted to make everyone happy every time they came come with different requirements, but then you you start realizing that that's not the way to, to move forward, but you have to understand when to say no to certain things. I think the first filter when you, when you see something and you understand immediately that this is not part of the scope of your product and you have to say no. Then after this filter, it's very common that different kinds of stakeholders, especially salespeople that are in constant contact with the customers that understand what are their needs. They come with a lot of different solutions. So you will end up with a long list of both requirements plus features that already are addressing different solutions for different problems. But an important thing before start to jump into the prioritization of the features that you have in the backlog, especially if they come from from different angles. What I do is some kind of a design thinking approach where I try to identify what are the different problems that these features or requirements are trying to solve. Then you realize that from a list of 100 features, you, you just have around 10 problems that these features are trying to solve. So there you basically have a lot of solutions, but to attack the same problem. Once you have this, when I do this, try to prioritize the problems and try to understand, okay, what if what of these problems, if solved, are going to help to achieve the business goals and also make our customers happy. And once I have done this prioritization, then I diverge again and try to find out solutions for, for the prioritized problems. And those solutions are the ones that, that I put in my backlog. Okay. So this kind of converge diverge approach brilliant brilliant so i'm hearing hearing there focus uh, d- d- and double down your understanding of the problem first before worrying about all the solutions that you're hearing from support teams or sales teams or bdms or marketing etc focusing on the on the problems um and then prioritize the the solutions based upon problem solution fit and where that's most effective yeah precisely and uh, yeah it's it's time consuming because sometimes you, you don't know if what is exactly what what a feature means and you have to go to talk to all the different people that have been placing these requirements into your backlog it's very time consuming but it's necessary if you really want to to get deep into what is their source of of the problem victor is there a number one biggest lesson you've learned um when it comes to managing the backlog yeah well basically again understand the problem most of nothing i think it's very important to understand the problem and start ask five the typical five times why and also say no say no is very important as well absolutely and that's that's the uh, that's the art 
of product management or product ownership in this sense. Um, the art of how do you say no in a way that you don't disjoin or disconnect the teams and the trust and, and behaviours that people are trying to pull together to help you out and to bring value to the product. Um, but saying no is obviously a critical part of day-to-day life when it comes to making those prioritisation calls. Can I ask, have you got a particular approach when it, when it comes to how you say no? Say no. Uh, well, first of all, I try to talk to them and understand what is the main reason of their requirements. And then you have to be, uh, in, in a very diplomatic way, try to make them understand that, yeah, this could be an important feature for the future. But, in this, but right now, at this point, we are focusing on other things. And uh, for the future, for the current scope of the product, this is not something that will uh, generate revenue or try try to put try to put it in a logical way of why we don't want to include now, but without closing the opportunity to put that in the future. Brilliant, thank you. And and can I ask Victor for for the product owners out there now, what what's a good measure to know if you're doing a really good job with product ownership? There are different kinds of ways, uh, especially if you are working with end-user products. You can have metrics. Popular ones, I think, is the Hertz metric used by Google uh, about for measuring the happiness, the engagement uh, of the customers you have. I think if you have a product that that doesn't create any revenue or that doesn't have a lot of customers uh, that are providing good reviews towards the product, uh, then I, I think it, the metrics that you have to understand how happy are your customers, how much revenue you are creating for the company, it's it's what will let you know more or less if you're going on the right path. Great. And how do you measure how well you're doing, you're doing the role internally in terms of um, being approachable, by stakeholders, working well with the engineering team. What do you do to keep yourself in check there? Uh, well, I think for the, for the team that you're working with, basically the retrospective meetings are very important, uh, even though they are they're mostly for the team itself to understand how they, they can improve different ways of working, but also you can have uh, a retrospective with them as well to understand what is it that they think about uh, the things they are working with, how much they understand of, about the product. For me, it's very important that every single person within the team, are there not just doers, but also want them to, to think about that what they are doing has a major, and they ha- I, I try to give them an overview, a high-level view of what are the goals? What is the strategy for the product that we have in the future? And try to keep them engaged as much as possible uh, when it comes to the team. And then when it comes to the stake, stakeholders, uh, there is a bit more difficult to measure, but somehow you start realizing if if people start asking you more questions and then come to you more frequently and they understand that, uh, how your product works and how you can help then. So, so when you see that communication starts to become more fluent, then I think it's a good indicator. Brilliant, brilliant. Thank you. Certainly overlaps with some experiences I've had when, when particularly with the external stakeholders, when I can see they really endorse or advocate for the, the, the approach 
and, mm. and they respect the process, that's when I can see that they're really getting value out of it because they, they've, their mindset's changed. They see the power of a discovery. They see why effective prioritisation makes a difference to them and they, they truly then appreciate the need to deliver value, not just features. Thank you so much yes, um, for this session, Victor. It's been it's been a pleasure to talk through and get get back to basics almost on on some of the day to day life of product ownership um, and the product owner role, but also um, hear about some of your own personal experiences and style of of solving the challenges. Thank you very much. Uh, it was very really fun to talk to you and share some of our thoughts. Um, I really hope that we can uh, have another session in the future. Indeed, indeed. It'd be good to get face to face and it's it's great to now have an excuse to get to Sweden and add that to the list of countries I'd love to, to travel yeah. and see. Even if it's only over the bridge from, from Denmark, I'll, I'll definitely be there one day. Yeah, very welcome. Thanks so much, Victor. Thank you everyone for listening in on the podcast uh, and or watching in on, on YouTube. Again, all of these recordings, unfortunately, are now remote, which means I'm dependent on the internet uh, wherever I may be. And I'm currently floating around Lisbon um, in terms of sound quality. So apologies if there's cutouts um, when you're listening back to this. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you found this valuable and please do remember that this podcast and all of the episodes of the European Tour are dedicated to raising awareness and funds for the bushfire and I would say tourism affected communities of Australia now. If you'd like to support either the volunteer firefighters of Australia, the wildlife or the bushfire affected communities you can do so by heading over to bushfire.productcoalition.com If you'd like to know more about the community you can head head over to platform.productcoalition.com and find out more about memberships, our Slack channel and how to become a writer on Medium as well. Thanks so much again, Victor. Thank you, yay. Thank you all for listening in and I'll speak to you very soon. Thank you. Bye-bye.